Hello, and welcome to the QBW Podcast with me, your host, Carol Holtzclaw. Let's dive right in. So, hello, Dr. Angel Brutus. It is wonderful to have an opportunity to speak with you today. Hello, hello. It's so good to connect with you, too. Awesome. So, you are the lead psychological services provider with the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee with their psychological services and leadership team. So um, I would love to jump right in and just ask you your superhuman origin story and your career path of how you got to where you're at today. <laughs> I laugh and I chuckle because I, when I do share this story with people, it always brings up revelations for myself. Um, oh, awesome. I will say that this was not a field or industry that I chased down it sort of kind of found me Um, it's something that I didn't even know existed uh, a part of my career trajectory until long after I recognized that there were some gaps in, in terms of like my own understanding and areas of competence and so the short version is um I always tell my kids and anyone who asks, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Uh, I am a consummate learner. Uh, that is probably the, the superpower is that ability to just kind of soak information in and figure out how to execute that in a knowledge base that helps me hopefully to make an impact in others' lives. And so, you know, with that, Uh, I think where I'll start is that um, originally, as far back as I can remember, when I started uh, considering identifying as someone who was potentially going to college, because, you know, growing up in, you know, in low socioeconomic status environment, things of that nature, you don't necessarily have college as the um, goal of yours, Mm. right? Typically, it's, you know, work and things of that nature. But yeah. you know, some high school teachers and instructors saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And so with that, I distinctly remember I had a chemistry teacher who just, you know, voluntold me to sign up for this program at the University of Tennessee um, as a senior, a rising senior in high school. And I ended up doing summer research in the zoology department. And so ironically, Kara, I was supposed to major in zoology as an undergrad. Oh, wow. Um, A lot of people don't know that, right? Uh, But I also tell people that the work that I do now is not too far out. (laughs) (laughs) Because it really is about understanding the inherent nature of behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, And who better to learn from than those who are, you know, in their primitive state, which tends to be animals. Uh, So it's kind of like this full circle moment, even as I say that out loud, I think that's my first time articulating it in a full circle moment. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, fast forward, of course, you know how you you get into school and you don't necessarily know all that there is out there and what exists. And so you start to pursue things that, um, you know, you see other people doing because you know Mm -hmm. that that exists, right? And so, you know, I went down that route of... um, One, I kind of pivoted away from zoology, one, because I didn't know much about what that could potentially look like as a career. And then Mm -hmm. two, I just didn't see anyone who looked like me, to be quite honest with you. And so uh, 
retrospectively looking at that, I can see that that how that influenced my decision making moving forward. But in that moment, you know, it was just I did not believe that I belonged in the lab as you know a young black girl who, let alone, was trying to figure out if co- if she was college material or worthy for college. Um, so, you know, getting into undergrad, I knew that I liked science. I knew that I wanted to help people and I knew that I liked kids. And so I actually started, uh, coursework, general undergrad coursework with the intention on pursuing, um, a career as a pediatric nurse. Um, and, uh, but unfortunately, level chemistry classes came and I was like (laughs) not for me so uh, in those moments you know you also get exposed to things that you know for sure that you don't want to do and Mm -hmm. um, chemistry really did it got me and so I had to pivot Uh, but I still knew that I wanted to help people and I knew that I liked kids so the obvious choice was all right well let me look and see what this teaching thing is all about Mm -hmm. but little did I know in terms of pursuing an education degree but of course you have to choose a concentration because you know you can't just choose teaching you have to choose like a subject matter and so the the first subject matter that I did choose was actually uh education with a concentration in math because I still like science and math and science tend to go hand in hand but once again like as I tell this story retro you know in retrospect um there was no one that looked like me that was majoring in math. Um, wow. And so I switched. I was still on the track for education, but I switched to English. And lo and behold, even with English, I had to, to um, de- dive down a little bit deeper and choose between literature and writing. So first stop was the literature. Mm-hmm. And it was like, this literature does, it does nothing for me. I don't see myself teaching literature. So then I switched to writing. Writing tend to, tended to be a little bit more in my lane. Uh, but it wasn't the type of writing that I think fed my soul in the time. Uh, mm-hmm. It was writing for the sake of writing in the technical space, but not necessarily writing from a creative space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really found myself graduate student working trying to not be discouraged by not landing with something that I felt like I could see myself doing as a career Mm -hmm. um and just really basking in this idea of owning my identity as a college student in general right um yeah you know as a first generation college student low socioeconomic status uh you know no qualm about it going to a historically white institution uh, with a very, you know, small percentage of minority population, and even within that minority population, not just Black, um, yeah. it was it was like 4%. Um, oh, wow. And so, and in that 4%, I got to be honest with you, Kara, like a lot of my classmates came from two-parent households and parents who had college degrees so they weren't first-generation college students so it was a lot right going on from an identity development standpoint trying to figure out this college thing trying to pinpoint the uh, return on investment in going to college right because as you can imagine mm-hmm. the more you change the more you change majors the more that you're probably prolonging your your stint as an undergraduate student absolutely um, 
And so, yeah, I don't think I've ever articulated that out loud either. There was a lot going on uh, the first year uh, of school trying to figure out who I was, what my position or my purpose was in the world and, and trying to explore and do it in a meaningful way. Uh, so needless to say, education was off the, off the table mm-hmm. and I actually found speech language pathology and I mm-hmm. fell in love with it. Oh, wow. um, I, I fell in love with it for a number of different reasons looking back on it. Uh, it still positioned me to help people, mm-hmm. um, but it broadened the scope of the type of people I could help. Um, so no longer was it just children. It was people who uh, the greater society would consider uh, less than or vulnerable uh-huh. in many wow. respects. And so I actually ended up earning my undergraduate degree in speech language pathology. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people don't know that. Uh, so it, it really served as the foundation for what happened next. Um, shared all of that to say that even though I changed majors that many times in undergrad, I still graduated in three years. Oh, wow. Um, and That's that incredible. was because I was very blessed and fortunate to um, have some knowledge, insight, wisdom, and support from a group of individuals that I worked for as a work-study student, um, working in the registrar's office and really working in tandem with graduation specialists and understanding what it takes in order to meet the requirements for uh, securing a degree based off of the college that you are associated with in your major. Mm-hmm. Um, and really recognizing that a lot of the courses that I was taking were very much so interconnected with one another and for most part were duplicates within Mm. other colleges and so it really just depended on the title of the course but the content of the course was very similar and the same so I was able to really um be blessed honestly Mm -hmm. in, in in that stage of my life to not let my inquisitiveness and my exploratory stage a barrier to me progressing and progressing at a pace that pretty much outpaced a lot of my peers, not even knowing it at the time, but just looking back on it, it's almost fascinating to see. Um, yeah, that is. And so, <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's incredible, right? It um, is. So, and I don't take credit for it. I just think that I was in the right place at the right time, knew, you know, knew the right information and, and, and really just kind of embraced for lack of a better word, not knowing. Like, I think sometimes we have this internalized and sometimes external pressure to feel like we have to have things figured out, have to have things well packaged and know. Yes, yes. Um, but I think those those early formative years for me as a college student helped uh, shape a lot of the things that I value now as a uh, mid-career professional and I and this will probably come back full circle as well but I, I do I value exploring mm-hmm. um, I anchor myself in curiosity and that has has linked itself to to be um, almost be the the very recipe of the the superpower that you yeah. talked about um, 
And so really quickly, I'll, I'll kind of close the academic journey with just saying that uh, even in my grad program, I started out my master's in audiology and speech language pathology and recognized that I wanted to do more mm-hmm. uh, because I recognized that the individuals that I was serving, although it was based off of, um, you know, language disorders or speech impediments or cognitive disorders that led to some speech impediments and language delays, Mm -hmm. that these experiences that they were living had implications for other factors in their lives. For some, depending on their age, it had implications for their marriage. It -hmm. had implications for their vocational options. It had implications for their educational experience. Um, And I could no longer stay laser focused on the lane of speech language pathology. Um, And so in true angel fashion, I changed my major in grad school. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So I, uh, I changed my major to counseling with a concentration in rehabilitation counseling, which is a little bit different. I didn't know at the time, but it's definitely a little bit different than your traditional route of getting training as a therapist or a counselor. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with the rehabilitation counseling degree, I did a deep dive and we, you know, I'm trained in ADA and equal opportunity um, EEOC type uh, legislation. I'm trained in the medical model and what that really means when a person has a diagnosis and the implications for their functional capacity and their functional capabilities. I'm also trained in not just identifying what those um, functional limitations may be, but I'm also trained in being able to identify accommodations and so that this person can experience the world at the same or similar rate as anyone who does not face a disability or a diagnosis. And so um, that continues to at the core of my approach to the help that I provide even now. Um, But little did I know then that that would be something that I would use in this, I would say this uh, tertiary encore career that I have. Um, (laughs) And so I did end up graduating with my master's in counseling and rehabilitation counseling and working in that industry and in that field Mm -hmm. in a number of different capacities for a long time. But even with that, my role or my function or my job title was one thing, but I'd always been either appointed or voluntold to serve on different uh, committees at the institutional level, the organizational level, uh, at the, you know, at the state level uh, with regards to things related to uh, accommodations with, with things that are related to ethics and legal Um, related to things that have everything to do with uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion before diversity, equity, and inclusion was a thing. Um, And so it's funny to kind of look back over the course of my career and all of these experiences and opportunities that I've had that really do show up in my day-to-day. And so fast forward, I ended up working as a therapist in private practice Uh, in Atlanta for a significant amount of years Mm -hmm. and essentially I uh, worked 
in-house as an in-house referral source for a psychologist who had a practice for over 30 plus years. Uh, literally, the phone number to his practice was worth more value than the building we were operating out of. Um, and But he had a niche practice and his niche practice was uh, administering ADD, ADHD, and learning disability assessments. And because of that niche practice and because I was his go-to provider in-house, um, it uh, really turned into a specialty population that I was serving. Um, and over time, the majority of my caseload became athletes. Oh, wow. And That's a lot of the athletes that were coming you know, into, into the office for services for a number of different reasons. But unfortunately for them, part of the factors that contributed to um, the adults in their lives making or, or putting forth the effort to, to, to get them in front of us had a lot to do with because these were some high performing um, adolescent athletes who were being highly recruited by Division One programs. Oh, wow. And because of their academic or their behavioral um, you know, their their behavioral demonstrations throughout their academic career thus far, were starting to have significant impact and implications for their recruiting process. Oh, wow. That is so right. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and so goodness. with that, I quickly recognized that I could do all the behavioral health stuff. I could do the therapy and the counseling all day long with my eyes closed, but I felt like I was missing something. And when I wanted to know a little bit more about the performance side of things, I, again, typical angel, I was like, hmm, I'm not satisfied. I gotta, <laughs> I, I gotta figure this out. Something, something else has got to give because I do have a heart for serving others, but yeah. I, I don't want to just serve others. I want to do it and I want to do it with excellence. Mm -hmm. um, and just at that point in time in my career, I learned that I was pregnant with my third daughter. And oh. that was also the moment where I was Turn about out, to You had children out. during all this? Yes, I had oh. children. Through, you had children. I had a whole personal life throughout all of this, right? Okay. Um, you said your third. And I was like, Dang. Yes, 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 yes. And actually, okay. to be honest with you, my second daughter uh, came around a time when I started tapping into my entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and so I think with each pregnancy, there's been like this pivotal decision-making process that has taken place too. Uh, because my second daughter was the catalyst for me to go ahead and do private practice. Oh, that brought that. me to that psychologist because I needed to be available for my family, available for my kids, but I also wanted to be able to do the work that I was passionate about doing. Um, yeah, so superpowers. Yeah, super Here we go. <laughs> listen, I'm telling you, right? It's like, okay, how do I how do I pivot and make this work? Wow. Um, but no, I give I give credit to my kids um, wow. because they they serve as catalysts for me to get creative and make decisions and make them in a manner that sets us up for the future. Um, and so, with my third daughter, when I when I learned I was pregnant with her. I was right in the middle of about to uh, finalize a deal to buy out the practice that I'd been working with because the psychologist was about to retire. Oh, wow. um, and yeah, pivotal moment, pivotal moment. And so because I was pregnant, 
because I was in the process of, you know, trying to figure out how to still move through with this deal I was about to make with this psychologist, I, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur care, you know, you don't work, you don't get paid. So at the time, there was this new credential that was coming out and it was called distance credential counselor. And it had everything to do with telehealth. And I'm going to tell, so I'm about to tell my age without telling my age. Um, (laughs) During this time, not many people were doing therapy virtually. Mm -hmm. And it was so early in the process that uh, when I went to go and do this training and I, I eventually acquired my certification, my certification number was like 135. That's how many of us in the entire country were doing telehealth. This was like oh back gosh. in 2010, wow. 2009, 2010, right? Wow. So fast forward to 13 years later, yes, uh, <laughs> it, it has served well to be at the forefront of all things related to telehealth. Oh, absolutely. Um, right, but during that time, when I went to the training, because it was an intensive training that we had to do in person, I happened to be sitting next to this young lady, and I know no stranger because I'm an only child, um, <laughs> and so I can make friends easily with people and just talk to people, but I also have the luxury of going back into my own little solitude when I choose, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, I happened to be sitting next to this lady and we were doing, it was during a break or whatever. And we were talking about, you know, what it is that we do and why we were there and, you know, yada, 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 just chopping it up. And I was telling her that, you know, specifically, you know, the purpose of me going to that particular training was because I was preparing to pivot and still see my clients, but see them virtually while I was in the tail end of my pregnancy. So again, my children were the catalyst <laughs> to me making certain decisions. Um, And so, you know, we were just talking and I was talking about like the typical demographic that I was serving. And she just casually says to me, oh, you sound like you do sports psychology. And I looked at her and I was like, wait, what are you talking about? (laughs) I had never heard of it. Had never heard of it. So... Not only does she say that, she literally pulls out her course catalog because she was in a sports psychology program. Oh my goodness. And she pulls out her course catalog and it's a hybrid program. This is also earlier on in 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 time where, you know, online programs were still kind of looked upon as unfavorable. Mm-hmm. And so she pulls out the course catalog and I'm, I'm like, can I, can I just look at the course descriptions and kicks in my previous experience working in the registrar's office at UT and understanding how to look at courses right. and graduation requirements. And so all of this pre-existing knowledge and ability comes to the forefront and I'm skimming through her course catalog and I'm looking at the courses and I was just like, oh, I already do this. I already do that. Oh my gosh, I do this already. So I'm like, stoked i was like this thing this thing exists these are the knowledge gaps that i have and the knowledge gaps that i recognized in looking at the course descriptions were a lot to do with the exercise science the kinesiology the motor development those were the three main areas that i really needed to strengthen Mm -hmm. but ironically i was already a certified yoga instructor 
I was already a certified clinical hypnotherapist. I already have all of the things in terms of identifying psychopathology from a counseling background. I also already had the medical model. So those three knowledge gaps were really the areas that I, I wanted to strengthen. And I was just like, mm-hmm. I'm in. So, you know, I don't even know the lady's name. I can't tell you where she worked. All I remember was that she introduced me to this industry that I didn't even know existed. Um, and not too long after that, I got home and I sat with it, sat with it. Pregnancy progresses. I'm kind of contemplating, do I still move forward with buying this practice or not? Um, and, and at that time I was starting to lean more towards not purchasing the practice. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but my heart was moving. And mm. so anytime my heart was moving away from it, I was like, mm, this might be some decision-making that needs a little bit more teeth. And so yeah. anytime I find myself in a situation where the stakes might be higher, I sit mm-hmm. and I just pay attention. And if anything tries to make it feel urgent, it's not for me. Oh, wow. And lo and behold, the more that I sat, the more that that particular psychologist and his communications became urgent. And so mm. now I'm misaligned because I am patient and he's urgent. Right. Like, mm, Maybe this is a time for me to really decide what makes the most sense in this particular moment. Also knowing now that I'm contemplating going back to school. Right. And sat with it, sat with it. And, you know, a couple of months went by as the pregnancy progressed. And the more that my heart became strengthened with this idea of acquiring the knowledge necessary to be a fully competent provider and not a halfway provider. Mm. And so I made the decision to not move forward with purchasing the practice. And not only did I make the decision to not purchase the practice, I made the decision not to go back to the practice. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. Because at that point, once my husband got home, I said, hey, by the way, I signed up for school. He's like, what? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I said, yeah, I signed up for school. I said, you know, I, I've, I've been sitting with it. I've been trying to find some discernment. This really rounds out my skill set. And originally I told him, you know, I said, okay, I think I'm going to go ahead and do their master's program. I gave him all the ins and outs in terms of, look, I'm not trying to get something that requires me to, you know, be long term. I'm not trying to do anything that requires me to get another license and hint, you know, psychologist. Nope, I'm good. I earn enough as a master's level clinician, sometimes even more than some of my colleagues who have their doctorates as psychologists. Mm -hmm. I'm good. And so he's like, cool. And then he comes back to me. He says, well, if you're going to go back to school, you might as well go back to school for your doctorate. You're not getting another master's. And I was just like. <laughs> Raise the stakes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. The fact that he was two feet in and was like, do it. That's all I needed. 
Um, and so, yeah, that's literally how that decision was made. Instead of getting a master's in, in sports psychology, I got the doctorate in sports psychology. Um, but still, I, I aligned myself with the program that would not have led to licensure as a psychologist. Um, and that was very intentional. One, because I appreciate my identity as a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, two, I, do, I, I can still do the work without having an additional license. Um, and, you know, three, return on investment. Yeah. Um, you know, being a mom of three daughters, being a wife, and being an entrepreneur, there was no way that I was going to place my family in a position where I was going to have to commit to doing pre-doc internships and post-doc internships mm-hmm. and living off of a trainer's trainee trainee's wages when I was already fully competent and fully licensed to do the work that I was designed to do. Right. Absolutely. So I I think answering in a very long way that question about the superpower pieces, the curiosity is the anchor. Mm-hmm the patience and the decision to be intentional is the driver. Mm -hmm. Um, And the flexibility with it all, but also recognizing and giving credit where credit is due when it comes to the level of support system that has to be present to pull this off. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was a lot. No, that, I mean, that's incredible. It's, it really was the superpower and the superhuman origin story. <laughs> you know, like it comes from someplace. <laughs> um, how did you get then once you fully pivoted and got your doctorate in sports psychology? I mean, then how did you make decisions from there? Cause I know you were at Mississippi state. Was that, mm-hmm. Was that a program that had already been in place for their student athletes? Was this something new that you were doing? You know, how did you end up there? Yeah, so I think it goes back to that entrepreneurial spirit that I talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, I distinctly remember after um, going through the majority of the coursework, <clears throat> coming to the tail end of my program. Uh, still working out in the community as a private practitioner um, in the counseling space, kind of like patiently waiting for me to finish up the sports psych degree so I could just be done and like be Mm -hmm. fully embedded in that field. Um, Got a random call out of the blue and it was someone who came referred to me by one of my mentors in the industry and now really close dear friend um, who knew that I was clinically sound and knew that I had already uh, progressed through my program where I'm on the tail end I'm just literally about to just work on the dissertation and the research everything else has been done in terms of the knowledge base all those courses that I told you that needed to fill the gaps those have been taken Mm -hmm. Um, and uh this person had also agreed to serve as my mentor in terms of my certification hours in, in becoming a certified mental performance consultant, which is what is recognized in our industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, so sitting in the carpool line, waiting for my daughter to get out of school and get this random phone call. And the individual on the other line says, hey, 
um, you know, so-and-so, I am the head athletic trainer for such and such program within our athletics department. I was given your name and number by so-and-so who indicated that you might be a good fit for what we're looking for. Uh, we have a situation where we have an individual athlete that we really want to get connected to um, services. We don't want to utilize campus-based services because we, we've attempted that on a number of different fronts and it hasn't been successful. Um, and you came highly recommended. Can you meet with us and our head coach tomorrow? Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I, I'm sitting in my car in the parking lot. Like, what just, what just, what just happened? And I was like, of course I can. You know, I'm free. And I was free because I was no longer working in the practice with the psychologist. Mm -hmm. I was my own entity. And I had the flexibility and the freedom to do what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. And so because of my availability, I was like, yeah, I'll come, come to you all and meet, you know, just, you know, give me, you know, logistics, parking, et cetera, da, 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 da. Can you tell me who I, I'm meeting with? And I said, sure. So they sent me all the details and I show up the following day and that was the beginning of my first contract. And wow. that contract led that that first year of the contract led to, to just providing, you know, individual fee-for-service provision in support of, you know, one particular athlete on a team that then turned into the coach wanted me to work with several members of the team. Oh, wow. um, and so we expanded that particular contract. And then at the end of their season, as you know, working in the athletic space, you got to look at your, you know, budget forecasts and kind of figure mm -hmm. out and have end-of-year meetings. I was brought into an end of year meeting. They were like, okay, we want to bring you on. But now other coaches know about your existence. Would you consider supporting other athletes on other teams? And I'm like, sure. But this one-on-one -on -one individual fee-for-service model probably is not going to be beneficial for you or me. So we probably need to reassess the format of the contract. Mm -hmm. And so second year, different iteration of the contract to make the most sense. Um, worked with several athletes, several different teams, even started, you know, collaborating and kind of being the, um, the uh, I guess you could say the, I don't want to say mediator because it's not like they were fighting, but being that go-to person between their athletics department and their campus-based services, because as you know, you can't do this stuff alone. Yeah. Um, and really just kind of assisting with forging those relationships in the most meaningful way. It's almost like being the athletics whisperer to the, the campus-based uh, services and being the campus-based services whisperer to the athletics department and kind of helping, oh, wow. you know, <laughs> negotiate between the two. Fascinating yeah. stuff. Um, but all of that, you know, as a contractor there's only so much proximity to the system that you have in terms of really understanding the nuances within the culture of the department and specifically the culture within the different teams that you're serving. And so you're really at the mercy of whatever information is given to you. Um, and this is so funny telling this story. I think this is the first time that I'm putting these pieces together. In oh. true angel fashion, I felt like I wasn't doing enough needed to be done and so there had been conversations uh here and there about the idea of 
trying to find the budget to potentially onboard me with that particular institution as a full-time staff member within their athletics department. Mm -hmm. and, and that conversation was had, you know, with their CFO, that conversation was had with their athletic director, um, and that just never came to fruition. So the desire was there, but the teeth and the meat of what was necessary to make it happen wasn't there. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew that I was growing more and more interested and compelled to be a part of a system fully and not mm -hmm. be on the peripheral. Mm -hmm. um, and so I ended up attending, ironically, I attended the Black Student Athlete Summit for my first time. And during that attendance, I was introduced to a young lady who at the time was a part of the staff uh, in the athletics department at Mississippi State University. Mm -hmm. And she indicated that, you know, they were in the process of looking for someone to serve as their director of clinical counseling services, fully embedded and fully funded by the athletics department. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. So, you know, I um, learned about it. And then next day, I get into the elevator, and lo and behold, there's another lady who is in the elevator with me, and it happens to be another staff member, same place, same institution, Mississippi State <laughs> University. And, you know, when she introduced herself, oh, I just met, you know, so-and-so, and she mentioned that you all were looking for someone, and this is what I do. Uh, she was like, yeah, we're really looking, we're kind of striking out. I said, well, if you don't mind, if you send me the job description, I can pass it along to my networks um, to see, if, you know, if anyone would be, you know, interested. She was very gracious. I got that job description that following day because I had to fly out and I was in the, uh, actually, I was in the locker room during halftime for a competition for the team that I was supporting. Mm -hmm. And they sent the, they sent the job description through. And so I'm reading through the job description and Kara, everything that was in the job description described me. Right. Or it spoke to me. Um, right. They were an institution that recognized multiple levels of licensure. So they weren't just looking for a licensed psychologist because I'm not one. They were looking for anyone who was licensed across the behavioral and mental health disciplines. They were looking for someone who had a solid understanding of how to... Uh, leverage relationships across campus. All of the, the elements of their job description was an indicator to me that they fully had a vision and an understanding of what would be required of this person that they were onboarding. Mm. Their job description in comparison to a lot of other job descriptions that look for similar or same people mm -hmm. is the higher echelon in terms of content, detail, rigor, and a, a, and a demonstration of understanding of what we do. Oh, wow. A lot of other job descriptions that came across my wire did not. Mm -hmm. And so I responded to the email and I said, hey, after looking at this, do you mind if I apply? Oh, wow. I know I agreed to pass this along to you know a different network, but would you mind if I apply? Absolutely. So literally, before we get back onto the court, 
for uh, halftime, still in the in the locker room, I just go ahead and upload my resume mm-hmm. and my cover letter while I'm sitting there waiting for you know the team to come back out. And that was on a Saturday. By that Wednesday, I received an outreach for an interview over the phone for that Friday. Do the interview that Friday that following Monday, receive an invitation to come and do a campus visit. Oh, wow. Later in that week, based off of the, you know, senior, you know, leadership's, you know, calendar of availability, they offered to fly me out. I said, you know what? No, I can drive because I wanted to get a sense of what the drive would be like going mm-hmm. from Atlanta to Starkville. Um, and the, the rest is just history. <laughs> and specifically this was the first their first hire so I was hired on to build a program from the ground up oh that's incredible and with that I had the opportunity to change or help them to reimagine the position because as I told you the, the position was titled you know director of clinical counseling services for student athletes one that's a very long title two <laughs> I, I negotiated with them a change in the title, assisted with naming the department that would be representative of the spectrum of services that could be provided, and also increased the likelihood of help-seeking behaviors of their student-athletes. And I also negotiated with them up front the desire that I had from a career trajectory standpoint to be a part of their athletic director pipeline Mm-hmm. as well as the opportunity to understand that I needed to have guarantees of funding to build out a staff. Oh, yeah. So without absolutely. those three things, I was not going to consider accepting the position. Mm-hmm. So there so we you already knew. You already knew what it was. Yeah, you got to make sure that you secure the dollars to be able to do what it is that you need to do up front. Mm-hmm. But I learned all of that from being a proximal contracted provider with an institution who needed it, who wanted it, but couldn't figure out how to make it happen. Yeah, that's incredible. So it just helped to serve you in securing this opportunity. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so then you did more of your private practice and mm-hmm. positive coaching alliance. What I, I think yeah. I've seen part of the coaching alliance, and I don't really, I am not well versed or educated on what that actually is and what you do with that organization. Yeah, so Positive Coaching Alliance has, has been around for quite a, a bit of time. I actually got mm-hmm. introduced to them because I was um, serving as assistant athletic director for our sports ministry at my church when I was in Atlanta. And one of the um, charges that I was tasked with which was to identify coaching curriculum to assist our volunteer coaches with um, just continuing to help pour into the, de- the sport development aspects and experiences of our youth that we were serving. And so okay. I found Positive Coaching Alliance through that vein um, and instantly fell in love with all that it stood for. So Positive Coaching Alliance does a lot of um, training and facilitation for a number of different parts of the sports system. So they have a curriculum that's specific, specifically geared towards um, athletes. Mm-hmm. 
they have curriculum that's uh, targeting sport parents. They have curriculum that obviously is targeting the coaching education, so coaches. But they mm-hmm. also have curriculum that's specific to sport administrators, so the decision makers as well. And so the fact that they early on identified the necessity to make sure that their curriculums are specific to the roles and the functions within the entire sport ecosystem mm-hmm. um, aligns with what I value. I see things from a systems model. Um, the other piece of it also is that I do serve as a facilitator for them, and I still do when I can find the time. Um, okay. As a facilitator for, for some of that. And so they provide a number of different, you know, workshops for those respective um, parties that I just mentioned. Uh, they also provide or curate a lot of content that is evidence-based. Um, and so there are a lot of free resources that they have on their website that individuals that don't necessarily have to have like a formal relationship with PCA to be able to access and utilize. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just continue to to be at the forefront of what it really means to uh, invest in the development of youth uh, sport experiences. Um, a lot of their work is centered around uh, some of the elements or the tenets of positive psychology, uh, you know, Carol Dweck's growth mindset, a lot of research that Mary Fry has done in the um, Olympic space, and then just really kind of correlating all of that information and those best practices in a way that's tangible and accessible uh, for those many different people who may not necessarily be academics or researchers, but they can definitely be people who influence the culture of, of, of youth sport in, in a number of different sites. So they have a number of different chapters across different regions within mm-hmm. the U.S. Um, and a lot of those chapters typically are located in areas where there's also a strong relationship with different professional sport organizations across sport types. And so there's relationships with NBA teams or the NBA uh, there's relationships with uh, a lot of individuals in the baseball space. They even specifically do a lot with RBI, which is an initiative that the MLB has um, in terms of growing the game for underserved populations and kind of trying to address the the the, um, the underrepresentation of youth in certain sports that typically are not in the sport of baseball. Uh, and so I can go on and on. Um, I've been affiliated with them for so long, but I, I really appreciate all that they bring to the table and they do it with intentionality. And so again, when I think about the superpower question earlier, it's like identifying vendors and spaces and places that align with my core values, I think, um, has mm-hmm. served me well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I need to educate myself more on what it is. I've heard about PCA for years and years. Um, and I even know people mm-hmm. that have been affiliated and done things with them, but I just personally um, have not done my due diligence. So I will. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So then I feel like that leads us back to the USOPC. And how did that opportunity come about? Yeah. So again, I like building things. I've learned that over the course of this stage of my career, um, moving from being I guess you would consider an early career professional, even though I'm, I've kind of retooled. So it's kind of like this interesting space. Like I'm a, a veteran in one portion of my career and I still mm-hmm. consider myself an early career professional when it comes to the sport industry, but somehow I've been categorized as now a mid-career professional in the sport <laughs> performance psych uh, space. So I'll, I'll take that. Um, 
but no, in all seriousness, uh, things were going extremely well at MSU, you know, built the program, Mm -hmm. was able to, you know, build out staff and really get some, some key key programming in place that are staples and continues to run even to this day, now that I'm not even affiliated with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, when the Olympics decided to revamp their mission statement and not only uh, understand the necessity to support athletes in the pursuit of excellence, but also added well-being to that mission statement, um, part of that trajectory also meant taking action with adding well-being to it. Um, Mm. And so my third year into the uh, role that I had as then, you know, my career actually progressed at MSU and I became assistant athletic director Mm -hmm. of counseling and sports psychology. Uh, So they they kept their word Um, (laughs) (laughs) in terms of the athletic directorship pipeline. in that role and the USOPC started to build out their mental health services program um, even though the USOPC you know has had you know sports psychology services for decades mm-hmm. uh, at that t- at this time this was the first time they actually would have full-time staff members dedicated to all things related to mental health oh. um, and so with you know my experience in building out the program at MSU, uh, also being able to have some presence and some influence and impact at the the Southeastern Conference level at times with some of their programming that they were rolling out uh, in terms of helping to co-author best practices for SEC institutions specifically in terms of their hiring practices for mental health clinicians with a diversity lens. Mm -hmm. Um, I you know, became aware of the USOPC's opportunity as they were looking to build out staff um, Mm -hmm. to serve in that mental health space. And of course, you know, the world of sports psychology is extremely small. Mm -hmm. Uh, I outreached the person who was serving as director of mental health services at the time with the USOPC uh, and just kind of inquired about like how serious the USOPC was about this. Because again, it was with the intention on like sharing it with some other people in the network who I knew were in the, in the job space. Um, but then was also encouraged to consider. So, um, mm-hmm. looked at it and was like, huh? Okay. But I think overall the attraction for me, uh, was the ability to be at the forefront to assist with building out something that hadn't existed in an, in a, in a, in a organization or an institution. So, Um, my tenure at MSU was great and it taught me a lot, but I think I also got to a point in my career where I, I recognize that I like building things. Mm -hmm. Um, and that comes from that entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. But I feel like you spoke to that even when you were talking about going to school and not seeing people that look like you, you know, I feel like throughout just listening to your journey, that it's resonated that you've always built things. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you've always taken something that maybe you didn't see or didn't feel like you were supposed to come to the table, but you then built built a table. So um, mm. I think that that curiosity, yes, has definitely been a superpower of yours. It's definitely been something that has um, made you successful, you know, and be able to shape shift and take 
other experiences and apply it to how you see yourself moving forward in the future. Um, I, I totally am on that same wavelength of like, just being open um, and changing my mind to not be like, oh, I have to arrive at this destination. I have to have this particular title. Um, mm -hmm. It's more about, I want to do these certain impactful things. Um, and I, it really resonates with me when you say that you like to do something that's never been done before. That has been something that has fueled me. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely more getting into leadership roles and management of other people. You know, it's been really like, let's do something impactful. Let's do something that's never been done before because we're all, all the faces are going to change, you know, but what can we leave mm -hmm. behind that will be sustainable and that will still be here? And, you know, we got to build that culture. We got to build this thing out. Um, so I really I'm so that. glad you said that. Yeah, because I still have my private practice, but my private practice has been completely revamped. Um, my private practice no longer is about service provision. My private practice specifically targets on providing supervision and mentorship for people who are pursuing this work. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. That is incredible. So it's just been this evolution. I love it. Yeah. I feel like I've known you for <laughs> years and you've had some conversations here and there. It's just, it was really interesting to hear, you know, the not even thinking about going to college, I, I find you to be so fascinating. I find you to be really intelligent and um, I don't know, like education minded. Like, so I just, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's interesting to say like, yeah, you know, coming from where I came from, not even to think that I would go to college. It's, it's incredible to hear, you know, to hear somebody, like I said, their, your superhuman origin story, you know, like what kind of shaped who you are today. Um, and so, mm -hmm. you know, I really, I really appreciate you sharing your journey with me. It's um, <clears throat> incredible. And, it, and it, I, one thing though, like with doing the podcast and talking to different people, and I know, you know, I've known people that I've been talking to and stuff, but to then listen to their journey in their own words. Um, it's really inspiring because I feel like all these people that I find to be great and to be doing great things, um, they did a million things, you know, <laughs> like doing, they do so many things to like educate themselves and um, networking and mentorship and trying to lift other people up and trying to help a lot of, I feel like a lot of it too has been like that service, even though it's sports, you know, I feel like there's so much of like trying to touch people's lives or to do impactful work. So it's, um, it's, it's incredible um, to hear people that you look up to or that you think are, you know, killing it. And, you know, you're cheering for people on the sidelines when good things happen. And, and then to get an opportunity to dive in and talk to people. And it's like, wow, you, um, you have like this heart to serve or you have this heart to help and to impact and to change lives and to touch lives. Um, and so it, it's just interesting that that has been the culmination of all these different people that I've talked to in, in their greatness. So Oh, that's so nice to hear. Oh my goodness. That's <laughs> so you're you're uh you know, you're right up there as far as <laughs> fitting the bill with all these people that are, you know, really living in their truth and they're and just doing great things and you know, it's like you have this service service leadership um aspect to it. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> that must be an ingredient for success. Um, mm -hmm. I do wanna ask you about mentors 
you, you mentioned mentors a couple of times and like having a community of people that kind of lifted you up, you know, what did those people or what do your mentors, what do they look like? Um, and, you know, who has served as a mentor maybe throughout a longer part of your career or just like making the changes or what does mentorship look like for you? You know, I, this might be an unconventional answer. So I'm going to work a little bit backwards. I, I think just given what I just shared about, like, even my private practice turning into a practice that is dedicated to mentorship and supervision. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, in this moment, I really feel like my mentors are my mentees. And that sounds so mm. interesting to say out loud. Yeah. Um, they keep me honest. Mm -hmm. And they actually have the demonstrated ability of fortitude, uh, especially in a time, specifically in, in this particular industry, uh, in sport performance psychology, where a lot of people can unfortunately um, be hyper-competitive mm -hmm. uh, and uh, kind of operate out of this space or the sentiment of scarcity. Uh, but there's a lot of work that can go around and, and, and be done. Uh, but, but there's something to be said about the, um, some of the cutthroat elements within this industry. Uh, and mm -hmm. I say that because, it, for example, it's not uncommon for someone to know that an individual is affiliated with an institution or organization and literally still try to hold meetings with decision makers to try to get contracts right and mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it's it's very it, it, it can be a, an experience like none other um mm -hmm. and so i think right now in this in this space and time over the even if i reflect over the last couple of months i i really tip my hat to the individuals who are the mentees who are coming up in this industry who might not necessarily be as established yet. Um, mm -hmm. I'm still scratching my head on how I, I, I became established, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> and I don't take that for granted. Uh, I also think about specific people who have demonstrated the opposite of what I just de uh, described in the industry. And so I think mm -hmm. of people like my tribe, like Dr. Kinsa Gunter, like Dr. Wendy Ballaby, like, you know, Dr. Stephanie Coakley, like Dr. Lakeitha Poole, um, Dr. Nicole, Dr. Nicole Lennon, um, Dr. Carrie Kirk, I can go on and on. And those are just the women who um, we are very intentional about cultivating and creating a space for one another as we continue to navigate this industry as a, as a whole. Um, I also think about my instructor, Dr. Tim Rice. Uh, when I went back to school to get my doctorate, you know, at that time, you know, it was a hybrid program where it was like majority online, but we had these weekend intensives where we would have to fly out to Denver and kind of be together as a cohort and, and kind of take some instructor, instruction from our um, professors. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Tim Rice, the very first time that we had our in-person, he had all of us to take our name tags that were placeholders for our seating arrangements and write the word doctor in front of our names. 
And so it's one thing to know that you are, you know, in the thick of it and you're kind of pursuing this thing. It's another thing when someone sees it in you before you see it in yourself. Mm, powerful. When another person messages to you that you've already arrived, even if you are, you know, categorically hadn't gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think about my chemistry teacher in high school, Dr. Mascaro. He was the one that volunteered me and signed me up for the zoology program. <laughs> Um, but he was also the teacher who was awkward and many students didn't respect because he was awkward. He was the science teacher. Um, and so it's like those, those people that, that come to mind. And then honestly, I even think back to my instructor, Dr. Romo, uh, at the university of Tennessee. So in addition to all the coursework that I took and changed majors 10 million times, I happened (laughs) upon actually securing a minor in African and African-American studies. Oh, wow. And that has also been a part of the trajectory of my entire career because it brought me outside of the lens and the scope of just looking at things as an African-American here in the U.S. Wow. and so I think about those individuals who probably don't even know that they had as, as significant of an impact on me as, as they did. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and lastly, I just would like to know if you had any amazing pieces of advice or wisdom that we shared with you, or if you have any advice that you would share with another black brown woman that would be wanting to get into sports psychology stay curious be willing to unlearn because when you unlearn you make room for new stuff Mm -hmm. um and just because you can doesn't mean you should you don't have to do it all That is spoken like somebody who has probably <laughs> overachieved their entire life. <laughs> Just because like, you can do it, because I did it. Don't do it. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's taken a while to get there, too. Because the, the piece of the, and I'll, I'll, I'll give a caveat to that. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You don't have to do it all because you can probably identify someone else that you can give that opportunity and that gift to for them to thrive. Mm. That's powerful. Okay. So in, in, in the words, uh, you don't have to hoard all of the opportunities. Right. Build community. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Okay. Um, and how can people follow you? How can they see what you're up to? How can they see what you're doing? I feel like we could talk for another hour <laughs> talk about. I don't think my daughter would appreciate me talking I was going to say come on mom <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah so people can find me on LinkedIn uh, Dr. Angel Brutus CMPC um, they can also find me on Twitter Angel Brutus 1 uh, they can also follow me on Instagram uh, and that Instagram account handle 
is Sport Psych Synergy. So S-P-O-R-T-P-S-Y-C-S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y. Or they can, you know, hit me up on my website, sportspsychsynergy.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, Angel. I really appreciated spending time with you today and speaking about, you know, your professional background, which has been intertwined with just your life. Um, so yeah. I, I really do appreciate you sharing your time and your daughter sharing her, sharing her mother with me. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>